Man, that's great work, John. You, it makes you think something great's coming, doesn't it? But it's just me, so. I want to thank our musicians uh, for the great work they do every week. You know, this week I, w uh, had a, uh, I was giving a guy a tour of our facilities with the company that holds our note, and he's a new representative, and he was familiarizing himself with Wes Bowles. And we walked by the choir room, and he says, do you still have a choir? And I said, yeah, we have a great choir. And he said, that's very unusual these days. So we're lucky to have a choir and, and great musicians um, who usher us into the presence of God every week. I also want to thank Ryan Long for pointing out how old I am. <laughs> Someday I'll return the favor, I'm sure. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Dave Beatty, and I'm uh, officially the administrative pastor of this church. If you know what that means, uh, let me know afterwards, because I haven't figured that out yet. Unofficially, I am the old guy uh, on the staff, and what that means is that I get to work with a great group of young people who um, love Jesus and are committed to his church. Some of the time that means I get to support and encourage them and even give them advice, but most of the time it means I'm running to try to keep up with them. So uh, that's, that's a wonderful privilege that I have. Um, I'm resisting the impulse to apologize to you this morning for uh, uh, taking this spot, but it's not my fault. Um, actually, I was drafted. Um, Thomas came into my office and said, you're preaching on February 15th. And I had already told him I wasn't going to do that, but um, he, he didn't take no for an answer. He is actually out of town. He's in Nashville. Nashville is under, believe this or not, Nashville is under um, a winter storm alert this morning. And they're expecting heavy snow in Nashville. So um, Thomas is out and Nathan is out. Nathan is in Pagosa Springs with our young people. That's why it's kind of empty over here this morning. And there are about 50 or 60 of them down there having a winter retreat. want you to be sure and pray for them. Uh, pray for their safety. Pray for uh, their time together. Uh, and also pray for Thomas and Becca and their traveling. So uh, I could say something this morning. I'm not going to because it wouldn't be um, um, politically correct. But I could say to you this morning that if you were to take um, the age of our brilliant preachers, um, Thomas and Nathan, and add them together, you'd come up with my age or somewhere close to that. And in spite of that, I have more hair than both of them combined. So I... I wouldn't say that, of course, but unless, unless I was going to make sure that this didn't ever happen again and you didn't have to listen to me on a Sunday morning. We are uh, continuing our study in the book called The Story. It's, a, it's an overview of the Bible, gives us a grasp of the, of the storyline of the Bible. It's a great book. I hope that you have your copy and that you're following along. We're in the uh, sixth chapter this week. It's called Wondering, and um, we'll look at that together in just a moment. I thought uh, to introduce that, uh, where we are this morning, I'd just like to tell you a story from my own life. On April 10th, 1982, I stood before my pastor at the Riverside Baptist Church at the time, and alongside my sweetheart, Lisa Thomas, and uh, before our family and our friends, we committed our lives to one another in marriage. Best day of my life, hands down. Second, close second might be the birth, the three, birth of, of our three children and my grandchildren, but uh, probably the only smart thing I ever did in my life was to marry Lisa. 
following the wedding and the reception and the drama and the comedy of errors that uh, attends nearly every wedding day, Lisa and I boarded an airplane for Monterey, California, where some of, uh, her friend, some of the friends of her family owned a condo on the beach uh, of Monterey Bay, and they were kind enough to loan it to us for our honeymoon. We arrived with only one little glitch, um, a prank played on me by uh, my best man, whose name is Steve Burns. And uh, we, we found our way to our rental car. We started out for the condo. I was the driver, of course, and Lisa was the navigator because she had been there before. So I started the car, and I looked at her and asked uh, in my sweetest new husband voice, okay, honey, where are we going? To which she replied, go up to that light. What do you think my response to that was? Every guy in here knows what my response was. My response was, okay, then what? And she said, just go up to the light, and I'll tell you what's next. And my response to her was how our first fight started as a married couple. <laughs> so I'd have to tell you that in 30-plus years, uh, I've had to get over myself a lot. And uh, when my wife says, go to that light, I just do it. And if she says, wait here, I just do it, and I'm a lot happier for it. <laughs> I tell you that uh, because um, that experience with my sweet wife has taught me a little bit about how God leads us, and that's going to be important for us to understand this morning. He rarely says, go up there, turn right, go a little ways, turn left, go a little bit further, and then turn right again, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He leads us a step at a time. If he laid out the destination and he said to us, um, here's the directions, we would say, okay, I'll meet you there. And then we would go on our merry way without him. But in reality, God is concerned just as much about the journey as he is about the destination. Because along the journey, he is teaching us and forming us and preparing us to be what he wants us to be. And that's exactly what was happening with the people of God as he led them out of Egypt to the promised land of Canaan. He didn't give them a road map. He didn't say, here's where you're going. I'll see you there in a few months. Good luck. Instead, he provided a pillar of cloud that they were to follow. When it moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. They didn't know where it would take them at any given time. They just had to trust him. And here's the thing. God did not take them on the shortest, most direct, or easiest route. Even with a huge mass of people, and it's thought that we're like two million people, they could have made the trip from Egypt to Canaan in a matter of months. Instead, it took them 40 years. And this morning, we're going to talk about how and why that happened. But let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your word, for its power, for its um, continued work in our lives, that it speaks to us no matter what, down through the centuries. And we pray that as we look at it together, that you will help us to have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that are open to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, the title of uh, the chapter we're studying today is called Wandering. 
It covers uh, the last two books of the Bible written by Moses, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Numbers gets its name because there are a couple of times that there is a reference to a census that's taken um, in which the people of God are counted. But in Hebrew, the word for that book is in the desert. And really, that's what that book is about. It's about the people in the desert. We could cover most of the material in these two books in about three weeks if we met every day. Uh, but we don't have three weeks, and we don't have even three hours. And don't worry, we're not going to take three hours this morning. We're not going to try to cover everything. We're, it's, it's, this is a flyover. When I think about the wanderings of Israel, it occurs to me that there are two phases. In the first place, in the first phase, God takes them deliberately on a long diversion. If, if you look at the map, you see that when they left Egypt, they should have veered to the left, at least if they were going to Canaan. Canaan was to the east and to the north. But instead, God takes them by a right turn straight south. And the place he takes them doesn't look like it's flowing with milk and honey, as Moses promised. It looks like a desert, because it is a desert. No water, no food, sand, freezing cold nights, blistering hot days. They lived in tents, and they walked everywhere they went. Can you say bait and switch? Something was wrong with this picture, at least from the perspective of the Israelites. But God tells us why he did that. In Exodus chapter 13 and verses 17 and 18, we read this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. The road through the Philistine country would have been up along the Mediterranean on the, the west end, the south and, and the west, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. God knew that the people weren't ready. In a few minutes, we'll see that they weren't even ready for a little bit of adversity, let alone war. And as we learned last week, God was teaching them and what it meant to be his holy people, what it meant to be set apart, what it meant to live by his ways. And they had a lot to learn. And it took a while. So that's phase one of the wanderings. It was God's intentional plan for them to spend time in the desert. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. Now, as we, we learned last week, we are rescued for a relationship, or they were rescued for a relationship with God. So are we. God brought his people to the desert. He gave them his laws. He taught them his ways. And the Israelites gave their allegiance to God and committed themselves to him, themselves to him, to obey him. We're about to see how they ruined that relationship. So we'll pick up uh, in the story on page 71, and right at the beginning we read this. On the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant of the law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. They set out this first time at the Lord's command through Moses. So they've been in the Sinai region for a long time. It's about 13, 13 and a half months since they left Egypt, and all that time God has been teaching them. And now the cloud lifts, and it's time to go. Imagine kind of the excitement that might have rippled through that community, through the camp, 
as they saw the cloud begin to raise and they knew we're moving on, we're going somewhere else. As is often the case, things started out well. The people marched out from their year-long camp out near Mount Sinai. God continued to guide them with the cloud. He had rescued them from slavery, showed them his power, guided their steps, given them his law, and gifted them with his presence. Remember last week we learned that Moses said to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going anywhere. And God said, my presence will go with you. So it looks great at first. But watch. Continuing on page 71, now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire came from the Lord and burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. That's going to be a familiar pattern, that things go wrong. The people uh, complain to Moses, and Moses uh, talks to the Lord. So that place was called Tabera, burning, because the fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, leeks, garlics, and onions. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. And the Lord became exceedingly angry. It's just an amazing picture um, when you think about it. When he, he talks about, when the, the scripture talks about the rabble, um, I think what, he's ta- what we're talking about is people that came with the Israelites that weren't really Israelites. Uh, they saw the hand of God. They saw his power. They saw how things were going, and they wanted in on it. And so they went with the Israelites. They may not have been slaves like the Israelites, but they did stir up trouble. And they did say, we're tired of the menu. You would think um, that uh, uh, the Israelites had lived in a five-star hotel in Egypt. But they were slaves. They worked day and night. They had nothing. Their children had no future. They were beaten and forced to scrape up the raw materials for the bricks they were making. How soon they forgot. Now here, they're complaining about the menu, about the manna that God has supplied for them. But it wasn't just about the menu. It was a lot bigger. And that's why the Lord was exceedingly angry because in reality the people were expressing their dissatisfaction with God's provision for them. It wasn't really about the food. We have a little saying in our house. It goes like this. The problem is rarely the problem. Meaning what I'm complaining about is not really what I'm upset about. And a lot of times it takes a while to get down, to drill down to what the real issue was, is with people. But God saw what was going on with the Israelites, and he knew their complaints for what they were. They thought that he should supply them with something better, something better than the manna. And so they were dissatisfied. As a side note, God said to Moses, okay, I'll give them some meat. And ironically, he said, I'm going to give them meat until it's, coming, until it's sticking in their teeth and coming out their nostrils. You should read that for yourself. And that's exactly what happened. He gave them meat until they were sick of the meat. So you can't please people. That's the truth. 
But I want you to hold on to the notion about people complaining because they wanted something better from God. Because it's the first step in a downhill slide. Being ungrateful for what God has provided for us is where our relationship with him often begins to go sour. It got worse. In the next part of the story, we read that Moses' own sister and brother, representing no doubt the sentiment of many others in the camp, began to question his leadership. This is in, on page uh, 73 and 74. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. That's kind of the ultimate call out, right? So the three of them went out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he stood at the entrance to the tent, and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen, listen to my words. When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to, him, to, to them in a vision. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. With him, I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Now listen carefully to this. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Whew. I wouldn't want to hear those words. I wouldn't want to hear God's tone in that. Once again, God's response reveals that there was a lot more going on than just sibling rivalry. These two guys um, represented a growing distrust of how God and where God was leading his people. Now, God dealt with Aaron and Miriam, but the fundamental problem did not go away. It was a cancer that would continue to grow, and this becomes clear as the story continues. God brings the people to the threshold of their destination, Canaan, their ancestral home, the promised land. And he tells Moses to send out some scouts, spies, to check the place out. And what happens next is just nothing short of disaster. Pick it up in uh, page 74. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community in Kadesh, in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. And here's its fruit. You know, when I was in Sunday school and maybe you as well, I remember pictures of the, um, of the spies coming back with a cluster of grapes hanging on a pole between two guys' shoulders because it was so big and so impressive and so heavy. So they said, here's the fruit, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. We can't attack those people. 
They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Without going into a lot of detail, the, the people that they saw were, they said, the descendants of Anak. And just to give you a reference point on that, later we'll run into a guy named Goliath. Remember the giant Goliath and David? And Goliath is thought to be in that line. His, he was descended from the descendants of Anak. So they were tall and large people. The bad report of the spies was only the tip of the iceberg. The response of the community is not just complaint now or distrust in God's leadership. It's open rebellion against God. They dig their heels in and they say, we're not going. And they flat out disobey God. They say, we'll take matters into our own hands. We'll choose a new leader and we're going back to Egypt. Listen to what it says on page 76. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell down on their face, and they said, don't do this. And, and uh, Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. We, God, God will deliver the land to us. But the whole assembly talked about stoning Moses and Aaron. A really interesting exchange takes place. And again, read it for yourself in, in your book, uh, between God and Moses. Basically, God says to Moses, I'm fed up with these losers. How long will they treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? These are the people that had seen time after time God's power and God's deliverance and God's care for them and, and experienced his guidance in their lives. He says, I'm going to make a new nation. You know what Moses says? He says um, to God, he says, please don't do that. He says, after all, Lord, it's your reputation that's at stake. The Egyptians and everyone else will look at that and say, yeah, big deal. Their God really is not so much. He could take them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get them to the promised land. So he just got rid of them. And Moses asked the Lord to forgive the people. The story picks up on page 77, and it says this, The Lord replied, I have forgiven them, as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except for Caleb and Joshua. And as for your children, that you said will be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, 
your bodies will fall in this wilderness. So God forgives the ragtag bunch of whiners, but their actions have consequences. Those who rebelled against God would never get to experience the promise fulfilled. Their kids would, but that generation of rebels would wander around in the desert for 40 years until they all died off. That's the second phase of wandering. And that wandering was full of continued rebellion and dissatisfaction and distrust and disobedience. And time after time, God had to bring, bring judgment on the people. Time after time, Moses had to intervene. It got so bad that Moses got so frustrated that he even disobeyed God. He struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock, and he lost his opportunity to go to Canaan. And that's not the end of the story. It's not even the end of the story, the part of the story that we're looking at today. But I want to just take a minute to reinforce what I, I think we need to learn from the experience of the Israelites. These aren't just stories about ancient people and their unique experience that are recorded for our interest. They're lessons for us. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. We're not that different from the Israelites. Like them, we've been freed from slavery, not slavery to the Egyptians. We were freed from slavery to sin. Like them, we're on a journey, not to Canaan, but to heaven. And like them, we're learning and growing and being shaped by God along the way. But also like them, we're vulnerable. We can become dissatisfied with God's provision and begin to complain. And ingratitude can start us on the wrong path, the path of ruining our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And like them, we begin to distrust God, or we can, and to question where he's taking us and the leaders he's provided. And like them, we can come to the place where we disobey God and his word, and we turn away from his guidance. And the result is the same for us. When we turn our back on God and walk away from his word and decide to go our own way, we will miss out on what God has planned for us. Now, that's a, uh, a skim of the book of Numbers on to Deuteronomy. Did you just look at your watch? Well, don't worry. We're going to do the Reader's Digest version of the Reader's Digest version of Deuteronomy. After 40 years of wandering, God brings the next generation of his people to the back door of Canaan. And what I mean by that is the first time he brought them up from the south and they were west of the Jordan River and uh, up where the Philistines lived, and that's where they turned around and went back. They went back south. And then after God led them for 40 years, he takes them a little bit further east and then north again to the bank of the Jordan River. So they're coming in from the east. The Jordan River is in front of them, and on the other side of the Jordan rib River is uh, not just the Promised Land, but the city of Jericho, and that will be the next place we go with this story. So he's brought them there kind of in the back door. Um, Moses calls the people together as they're gathered together and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. And um, he, he warns them. He asks them to think about where they've come from 
And he wants them to, to, to take the lessons of all that wandering to heart. And here's what he says. He says that God says, see, I, this is page 87 of the, of the story. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. And then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. He will give you many years in the land that he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Interestingly enough, the issue for this group is not going to be falling away because of hardship, but falling away because of prosperity. And prosperity is on the horizon. So Moses tells them not to get full of themselves and forget God. He says, when you get into that land and things are going well and you have homes and you have cities and you have crops and you have wealth, don't say, well, this is what I deserve. This is all my doing. This is God's blessing because I'm so righteous. Because God says, you're not. In fact, he says, you're a stiff-necked people. You're a bunch of stubborn people. So don't, don't start looking at this as prosperity as the result of how good you are. The Bible holds a mirror up for us. We're just as vulnerable as the Israelites were, just as prone to wander, just as capable of ruining things for ourselves. The writer to the New Testament book of Hebrew, Hebrews tells us that we need to benefit from these stories, and he issues us a warning. He says in Hebrews chapter 3, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me for 40 years and saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation and said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And then the writer to the Hebrews brings it to us. And he says, so see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart and turns away from the living God. So these stories are there to warn us of the possibility that we can fall away from God's blessing. If you want to put that in a more positive uh, framework, Listen uh, to the words of an old hymn. I grew up um, in the church, and so hymns are just part of my psyche, part of my DNA, and I remember a lot, uh, a lot of hymns. And I think that if we reverse this as a positive, we would say these two words. You're not going to remember anything else I say, so just remember these two words. Trust and obey. And that's the title of an old hymn. Trust and obey. I would sing it for you, but the memory then would be the wrong memory for you. And that, that hymn uh, the, the, talks about when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, that he sheds a glory on our way. When we do his goodwill, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey.
And the refrain or the chorus is trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's the lesson that we get from the Israelites. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've preserved these stories for us so that we would um, learn. And we pray that in our day-to-day lives and in our families and in our church that we would be careful to heed your warning and to stay true to what you have called us to do, to accept uh, with gratitude everything that you give us, to trust the ways that you are leading us, and to obey you to trust and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for coming. If you're visiting, please come next week and uh, hear, uh, hear Thomas. And don't forget the Power of One boxes out there on your way out. We're helping a lot of people with uh, your loose change.